You're about to listen to Grace Pills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor at Caris Center International. Reverend Josh Lai is a preacher of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed as you listen. Thank you once again for the opportunity to gather, to fellowship together. Thank you that your word comes with power and with light. Thank you for clarity of thought, of understanding, of purpose, and of expression. There shall be no contradictions, no error. There shall be no inaccuracies. The word of God comes in precision and accuracy in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. As we exalt you, Jesus, we are edified and we bear fruit through the power of your word. And by this, we live in heaven on earth to show forth your grace and your glory alongside the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm continuing with living heaven on earth, part 12. So, we have gotten to understand that when we say holiness, it is not a function of moral uprightness. Holiness is a gift of God that will produce moral uprightness. So one of the things that must be very clear to us is that when God created Adam, Adam was righteous. Adam was made perfect. Because everything that comes from God is perfect. But Adam was in the perfection of man. And he needed to believe God and receive God's life, which is the tree of life, so that he can now live in God's perfection. And since he did not receive that, he fell. And that's why when we decide not to receive Christ Jesus, we can partner God to live heaven on earth, to live that holy life before God. If Adam fell in his own righteousness, every man that tries it will do same. Because we were created in the design of our maker. And when we take on his spirit, then we can function just like him. Just like him. All right. So, if you would note, you would note that most of the Exodus language are hidden during the patriarchs. And when I say patriarchs, I'm talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's redeeming power, which is demonstrated in Exodus, and the language that was used was written in quotes, and therefore we need to them out so we can have a very good understanding. Now, after Genesis 2-3, the next time you'll find the word holy is in Exodus 3-5, Exodus 13-2, Exodus 19-10, and 6-22 and 14. Exodus 3, 5 says, Then he said, Do not draw near 
this place, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. So once again, we see that God conferred holiness or sacredness or set apart a place and called it holy. So God is the one that conferred its nature on the land, on that place, on that specific environment. 2, 13, 2. Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. It is mine. Once again, you can see the word holiness is used as a word to set apart. So consecrate to me, what it means, set apart to me. Okay, so God once again confers holiness on the firstborn's um, children of Israel. Okay, so you can see that very clear. Um, 10 says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Okay, and then 6, Exodus 19 verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So it is God that sets a particular people apart and makes them his own and puts his nature of perfection or holiness on them. 22, and let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves. Let the Lord break out against them. In other words, they will be set apart. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. The word sanctified there also speaks to the same. All right. So now, let's look at Genesis 1, 6 to 7. Genesis 1, 6 to 7. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. Now, can you see setting apart? Can you see God dividing things? Okay, so we have actually taught, I've taught this severally, that in Genesis, anybody that just sees creation of things does not have a good understanding of Genesis. Because Genesis actually is a supernatural activity. So right here, we see God setting things apart from the other. Okay, and so you must see it in that same light. Okay, what belongs to the earth and what belongs to the other. What God means for a supernatural life and what calls in what he calls a natural life. That that is not perfect. So he's actually dividing the imperfect from the perfect. Okay, Genesis 1 4. 14 and 18. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So once again, you see that. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And to rule over the day and over the night. And to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Alright. So you realize that all these are for a people. It is not the study of oceanology or the study of the cosmos. It is speaking to God doing a separation. So it is a pattern 
of life for which God was giving us. That they are going to be the people of the day and the people of the night. The people who are unbelievers and the people who are believers. Okay? The people that belong to the earth and the people that belong to heaven. And so heaven and earth represents a relationship that God is creating a people he has set apart that will live this heavenly life although they are on earth. And don't forget that the separation of day and night was done on the earth. So God will live his life in people and call these people light on the earth. And would separate them from those who are of the darkness in the earth. All right. You will not see this word, but thou, till Exodus 26, 33. So all these instructions are to a people. A people. All right. So if you look at Exodus right there, you will see clearly that. God would want to now speak to a situation concerning a people. So it is not a matter of God speaking about creation. No, he's actually speaking to a people. And thank God that you are part of the chosen light. You are part of God's chosen. You are part and you have received the light. And therefore you are partnering God in this work for which he has on this earth. Leviticus 11.44 For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you shall divide between the clean and the unclean, which is linking to Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. Watch this. And God divided the light from the darkness. So we see separation because it is light. So Badao is to separate what is holy from what is unholy. What is light from darkness. All right? Thank God you are already holy and you are already light. So holiness is God's gift. And walking in it is our response to God's calling. So whenever you see that God says, consecrate yourselves, or God says, be holy, he is actually speaking to what he has already made you, and he's asking you to respond in that character. So actually, he's, he's actually asking us to respond in what he has already made us. You remember in Acts 10, 12 to 16, when Peter went to the house of Cornelius, okay? When, sorry, when Peter was sitting and he saw a vision, all right? And it was um, speaking to um, the Gentiles, all right, for which Cornelius will be the reference point. Acts 10, 12 to 16. It, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the earth. And the voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And, and Peter said, no, no, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again and said, the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So Peter, in his understanding, felt that God was referencing just meat to eat, meat not to eat. All right? 
But then, God was speaking to people. So God's reference was the Gentiles. That God says what Jesus did, he did for all mankind. And so you can see that God's agenda right from the beginning is not for just a particular people. But God has actually made provision that all the people of the world will receive and be separated. Okay, so God has made provision for everyone. So in Peter's vision, it looks like everyone was saved. But that statement is to show that salvation was done for all. No selectivity or exclusivity. All are chosen candidates for God's salvation. And that is holiness. That is holiness. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20 also speaks to this. That is that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when I respond to it, I am now called holy. When I respond to Christ's work of salvation, I am called holy. So holiness is also used for people that are not saved. Israel is an example. It reveals God's plan, God's design, God's intention for all men. So whatever God chooses is called holy. So holiness never comes from man. It always comes from God. It is God that confers holiness on people. And that's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14 to 15. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. It doesn't mean that they're born again. No. But by virtue of relationship, they are. So they share in the benefit of one whom God has separated. Within the context of marriage. That's why he says, otherwise your children will be unclean. But now they are holy. They are holy. Alright? So it means that anybody can be a candidate. Alright? Anybody can be a candidate. So, it doesn't mean that, like I said, they are saved. No, it only means they are treated differently. All right? So, holiness means you are treated differently. It therefore means the call to holiness was after they had been rescued. So, the Israelites were made holy when they were redeemed from Egypt. So, holiness now becomes a vocation and a calling. A calling to fulfill God's mission on earth. Don't forget that when God was actually redeeming them, before he would do that, he told Moses that he's calling them to go and serve him, to go and worship him. All right? So, holiness is that I am different here on earth. It is not just to go to heaven or not to go to hell. No. God wants the earth to be holy or God wants the earth holy. So my conduct is in the service of God in fulfilling or fulfilling God's will in the earth. My conduct is in the service of God, in fulfilling God's will in the earth. 
And that's why the Ten Commandments or the Ten Dabar and instructions were instructions given to them when they get to the land. When they get to the land. So it didn't actually mean that Every individual Israelite was saved after the rescue. No. It's just like the way Christ died and has died for all. But now they would have to respond. So you see, the Ten Commandments was given to all like God's, God's commandment for people who have been saved. It's for people who have been saved. And how they would live their lives in God's holiness. In God's holiness. Okay? So, they would definitely receive the opportunity... To respond. And that's why in Numbers 13, 14. The chapters 13 and 14. They received the opportunity. What were they to do? They were to go take the land. That is a typification. Of their responding to God's redeeming power from Egypt. To be saved. And now when they get into the land. They will now live. Because they have been empowered in their salvation to live the separated life for God. So there was no way they could live this life of the Ten Commandments if they did not believe to take the land. Okay, so the Ten Commandments will now make them walk in the land. And we'll be coming to that. So you understand, right from the beginning, when we talk about Abraham, was told to walk in the land. I hope it's very clear. Alright, so the Ten Commandments, like I said, are instructions given to them. When they get to the land. And that's ministry. That's a vocation. That's spiritual growth. That is living right. Okay. And if, if I, I use the phrase um, uh, uh, loosely. It is to serve God. And it is meant to serve his purpose. So it is the life we live. Because that is the life implanted in us. So the moment you tie living this life into earning rights and merits, you are into self-righteousness. It is meant to serve him. It is meant to serve his purpose. That's why he says, because I am holy, you should be holy. In other words, it is not because of us, it is because of him. Alright, so for those who say, I don't want to miss heaven, that's self-righteousness. And all those who say, as long as I'm saved, it's okay, that's also carelessness, and that's also nonsense, because we are now abusing our position in him. To serve his purpose and his cause. Alright? So you can see clearly that the focus of morality is totally different from the focus of righteous living. What the unbeliever calls morality is very different from what the believer calls righteousness or morality. For the unbeliever, morality is about me. It's about my image. It's about my brand, etc. But holiness is about Christ. It's about him and his work on the earth. And that's why he says in Hebrews 12, 14, 
Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. It's about the Lord. So without your right conduct, your right living, you cannot show God's image on this earth. This scripture is not saying that without holiness, you won't go to heaven. That is not what the writer is saying. As a matter of fact, if you look at the, uh, the pretext and the post-text of this very verse, you would realize that it is not talking about going to heaven. It was talking about conduct on the earth. Revealing the Christ nature on the earth because of Christ's work. So he's actually referring to the fact that you and I have been called upon and separated so that we demonstrate God and his image and likeness on this earth. So by us, people can see the difference between the light and the darkness, between heaven the earth. So we live his life on earth between the natural man and the unnatural man. The supernatural man, sorry. So holiness, right living, right conduct, righteousness is about him. And we do it because he has empowered us And it is his work on this earth. Because his kingdom is for the earth. So holy living is that atmosphere that God intends for the earth. It is not to end points. Although there are rewards that come with it, it is not meant to end points. No. And we'll be looking at it as we go along. Let's look at a few texts that points to this. 1 Corinthians 6.1 There, there, any of you having a matter against another, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. So Paul will now speak to the Corinthian church and was asking them a major question. And the question is that, Why do you send your matters to the dark people? Sorry, the people of the dark. Don't you have people of the light amongst you who can settle your matters? Because we are to show God. Without our right living, the people of the earth will not see God. And God intends... That the atmosphere of this earth will be like his image and likeness. And that will be seen through us. So if they see us fighting amongst ourselves, biting ourselves, scandalizing ourselves, we cannot make the necessary impact and we are not partnering God the way we should. Okay, let's look at the background. Paul actually equated the gathering of the believers to the judgment seat of God. And that's what he was actually practicing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, a brother took his father's wife and the church did not say anything. All right, and they were glorying in it. And that was actually the problem. No one could say it. That it was only that young man who was misbehaving in that church in that same manner. So, you know, Paul would have actually then called everybody within the assembly who behaved in that manner to be put out of the church. But that was not the case. Although there were situations of that conduct, I'm sure those people were in isolation because they were not glorying in it. But in this case, this had become a reference point for which takes away the agenda and the cause for which the church is. It is not something that should be taken lightly. It is something that they should do to 
correct the brother. So what it means is that Paul expects that at least they should be able to call the brother to order. But all of them were glorying in it. And Galatians 6.1 tells us how to do this. That those who are spiritually strong in that area will come to the aid of the brother and help him. But rather, they were glorying. So you see, what it means is that the whole church has lost focus and the whole church is distracted. So Paul will continue in 1 Corinthians uh, um, 5, 12, 13. He says, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? No. Do you not judge those who are inside? Because the judgment, actually, so when you see that judgment shall begin in the house of God, and Peter speaks to that, it is all speaking to the fact that we have been called for a purpose, and we are partnering God together here. It has nothing to do with going to heaven or not going to heaven. And so judgment shall be started in the house of, of, of God and, and, and begin in the house of God. So it means that God will lay you out of heaven. It has nothing at all to do with that. He said, but those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves that evil person. So the issue about that particular um, scenario in 1 Corinthians 5 is about rebellion. A person who is in a, a conduct and they are glorying in that conduct as if nothing has happened and, and they are enjoying it and they are bringing everyone into it and, and everybody else is giving them funds. Okay? Which actually is not the cause and the purpose for which God has called his people. So he says, when you have an issue, don't go to the law. Because our gathering is like the day of the Lord, which is the highest form of judgment, judgment in all humanity. Alright? So now let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, 6 to 11. Dare any of you having a matter against another? Sorry, from 1 to 11, sorry. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 11. There any of you having a matter against another, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? And if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? So look at the context because we're going to look at certain things because some, some, there are people who teach um, differently using this text to, to, to represent something else. And, and we're going to look at it. And it, it, it is the verse, verse um, um, 9 to the verse, verse 10. Okay? We're going to look at it carefully. So I want you to pay very much attention. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already to an, sorry, an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Look at the context very carefully. Light cannot go to darkness to settle issues. Because light should be an example to the people of the dark. The people of the day should be an example to the people of the night. Believers should be an example to unbelievers. The kingdom of darkness must look on the kingdom of light for path 
for the right path, for the right conduct. And that's what he is actually speaking to. Can we continue? Now, therefore, it's already utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Accept wrong here. He would actually explain. Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No. You yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he is now speaking to the unbeliever. So the next statement that is going to come is not going to talk about believers. So believers have no part in this text. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So the unbeliever has no part. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists, will inherit the kingdom of God. 11. And such were some of you. Past tense. Not present continuous. Such were some of you. So it is quite clear that he is using these behaviors to show us what we were like and who the unbelievers represent and what they do. This is the life they live. We should not be our life. So you must check exactly what the kingdom here means. Yes. Don't forget that the kingdom has come to us. And the kingdom of God is right here. That's why he said, and such were some of you. But you were washed. Once again, past tense. But you were sanctified. But you were what? Justified by your works. Is that what he said? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So you see, you look at it in context and very clearly, judgment within the gathering here on earth, the unrighteous, the unbelievers, they are not in the kingdom. They are not part of the kingdom. So we cannot go to them to judge our matters. We are the ones who are in the kingdom. So we judge matters amongst ourselves. And then show them the right example of what to do and what not to do. And how this earth should be like. So they can be our judges in matters pertaining to the kingdom. And so he detailed the works of unbelievers. Alright? So now, if the kingdom of God is in reference here to heaven, then it means at the time that he wrote this, the door of the kingdom of God would have been shut forever. 
Because the only people that are to be saved are the unrighteous. So if the door is closed on them, then that's the end. I hope that's very clear. Then it means the kingdom of God ended in Paul's days when he wrote this letter. And nobody else can enter again. But the context actually tells us very clearly that it's about taking decisions among the saints. We, in the church. He uses the same phrase in Galatians 5.21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, rebellious, and the like of which I tell you beforehand. Just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God is the word kleronomio. Kleronomio. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inherit. Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters or father, mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit. The word inherit again. Eternal life. We're looking at the word inherit with all of these verses, please. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. First Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Galatians 4.13, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bond woman and her son, for the son of the bond woman shall not be heir. The same word, heir, with the son of the free woman. All right, and then we have Galatians 5.21 that I already read. So that's why he says, that which does such things. That which does such things. So it cannot be talking about heaven. No. It's talking about here on earth. Hebrews 1, 4, 14. Having become so much better than angels, as he has by inheritance by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. 14, Hebrews 1, 14. Are they not all ministering angels sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Okay? Hebrews 6, 12. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit the promises. Hebrews 12, 17. For you know, that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He's talking about Esau. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. First Peter 3, 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Inherit is to be part of. Kleronomos from klero, which means portion. 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 Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Shall have a portion. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Mark 15, 24. And when they crucified him. They divided his garment, casting lots to determine what 
each man should take. Alright, so portion to take. Luke 23, 34. Alright, when they divided Jesus' garment and then uh, cast lots, you know. John 19, 34. They pierced him. And water came out immediately. Acts 1, 17. Obtain part, a portion of in, in this ministry. Okay? Um, Acts 8, 21. You have neither numbered us or, uh, sorry, you have not portioned. Okay, this was when to and Simeon, when Simeon um, said they should lay hands on him and, and, and so he can uh, uh, pay for the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, and Peter actually rebuked him and said, you don't have the portion, you don't have the part. Use the word clero. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes in order to turn from darkness to light and, and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance, a portion among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Colossians 1, 12, partakers of the inheritance. 1 Peter 5, 3, being lords over those entrusted to you being examples. The word there is clero. God's clero. God's portion. So the kingdom, the inheritance, the blessing, the ten commandments is for the land. Holiness is for the earth. These are all activities on the earth. And this is how God wants the earth to be like. So those of us who are now partakers, who have inherited, who have the portion, God's portion in the land, there is an attitude to it. There is a conduct to it. Oh, is that very clear? Yes. And therefore, this conduct must be an example to those who are in darkness. All right? To show them, God, that we are walking in the land. Look at Luke, um, sorry, Matthew 21, 38. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. <laughs> Come, let us kill him. This is the one who is actually going to inherit or have the portion. Come, let us kill him. Seize his inheritance. All right? Mark 12, 7. Luke 20, 14. Romans 4, 13 and 14. Let me read this one. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made no effect. So Abraham became the heir of the world. He became the heir of the world. Through him, the seed will come. And Christ came to redeem the earth. And the ongoing work of Christ calls on us to show Christ on the earth. So the kingdom is on the earth. Galatians 3.29 Galatians 4, 1 and 7. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. Clear. So we are joint heirs. We are in the same partnership. We take a part. We are partakers. Four one seven. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 
All right? So what it is is that the law shows us and gives us a projection of what Christ will come to do. And in Christ, it has now been made plain. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So we are partakers. Okay? And that's actually what the sonship means. Through Christ, we have become partakers in the kingdom, on the earth. Titus 3, 7, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hope of eternal life. Hope of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 1, 12, that's God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Hebrews 6, 17. That's God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, who was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the inheritance is for the earth. All the nations, it's a building of God's new earth. It is the building of God's new earth. It is the building of God's new earth. So God's blessing for Abraham is for the earth. God's blessing for Abraham is for the earth. God's blessing for Abraham is for the earth. So the good and godly conduct is God remolding. It's a service to God. He called Israel out of Egypt to serve him as priests. So he gave them the Ten Commandments and Ten Phrases in that priestly duty. So our focus is what God is doing in the earth. Our focus is what God is doing in the earth. All right? When he talked about that they should go and worship him, they should go and serve him, they should go and, and, and they should honor him. The word used there is kabad. And he actually talks about treating with respect. Treating with respect. So God wanted them to show upon the land what he has actually given and made he has empowered them to do so and they have the power to do so let's go back to Matthew 5 the Beatitudes 2 to 11 then he opened his mouth and taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So the attitudes to be are not attitudes to make heaven. So Jesus is telling what God's earth should be like. All these you see there that Jesus spoke to are 
telling us how we should conduct ourselves in the kingdom right here on earth to show forth God's nature and character in us. Isaiah 6, 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The word meek is the word prios. Prios. The word brokenhearted is to be broken down. Anna, to be afflicted, to bow down. The word moon, M-O-U-R-N, is the word pantheo. It's not mourning because you lost something. No. Look at 1 Corinthians 5 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So you see what I spoke about regarding the 1 Corinthians 5. Okay, the young man that took his father's wife and their response to that. And so the mourning here is not something that is taking away from you. No, no. It is something you are disturbed about. To be disturbed about something. Okay, yes. To be sorrowful about something. Because you know this is not me. This is not my nature. This is not the way I'm supposed to live. Okay, it's a call, an attitude of repentance. Look at Psalm 37, speaks to the word meek. Psalm 37, verse 10 to 11. For yet a little while, the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you look carefully for his place. For, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Look at the word hunger. Is the word penal. Penal. The same word used in Matthew 4 2. We're looking at those words in the Beatitudes or the attitudes to be. Blessed are those who hunger after righteousness. And when he had fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, after all, he was hungry. Matthew 12, 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. John 6, 35. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Okay. Look at the word thirst. Deep sigh. Matthew 25, 35 and 37. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you drink? John 4, 13, Jesus answered to say to her, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. So we're thirst. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Thirst. John 7, 37, on the last day, that great day, the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, 
Let him come to me and drink. John 19, 30, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Okay, so the first thing there is a strong desire to see the glory of God in the earth. So one of the things that God wants to see is our strong desire to see his glory upon the earth. His peace. His peace. 1 Corinthians 4, 11. To the present hour with both hunger and thirst. And we are poorly clothed and beating and homeless. So this is Apostle Paul speaking to the fact that his desire is no such about just living, um, I mean, uh, uh, laboriously. No, that's not, no, that's not the focus. He, 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 the strong desire in hunger and thirst, in poor clothing, beating, homeless, a strong desire, suffering in every way and any way to see his glory upon the earth. Okay, and this is what Christ models. And he says the model human being is the one who is poor in spirit. The meek, mourn, hunger, thirsty, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, persecuted for righteousness sake. Men revile you and persecute you and speak evil against you. Yet, you show them love. That's the man. That's God's model man. The model human being. So he's giving us God's pattern of the earth. Or the pattern of God's earth. Living heaven on earth. He was not doing it because he would get anything. He was doing it because we need it. Oh man. So the work in the spirit is God's work. That is how God wants the earth to be. It is the atmosphere of the earth. Matthew 11:29 Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This is the model. Follow the model. Mimic the model. Mimetic. This is the pattern. It is not a requirement to go anywhere. So you see, when we say holiness, it is not a requirement to go anywhere. It is God's requirement for where we already are, the earth. Without that, without that, without that, no man will see the Lord. And no one will see heaven in the earth. And rather than thinking that I am doing right to go to heaven, we should know that we do right for heaven to come to the earth. So whatever God desires on the earth, he must work it through me. He must work it through me. Say whatever God desires on the earth. He must work it through me. How many of us desire that? How many of us? So I must want what he wants in the earth. Say, I must want what God wants in the earth. I have received the grace, the ability, the power, 
to be that model human being. Partnering God in his work on the earth. I have that strong desire and passion to see the glory of God fill the earth. And I move away from the mindset that I am doing this for something to happen. It is the life I've been called to live. Praise God. I know you've been blessed. Because I've been blessed too. Let me feel your joy this morning. Glory. Lift up your voice and begin to pray. Grace, glorious grace. Grace, glorious grace. At the cross, you it Thank you for listening to Grace Bills by Reverend Josh Lai, lead pastor, Caris Center International. We believe the word has begun a good work in you. May God's amazing grace lead you to a peaceful and joy-filled life. Caris Center International, living heaven on earth.